Not home. unpack in today's episode. When I posted my introverts in horror last week, honestly had absolutely no idea what this week's episode would be about. I like to just kind of see what's going on and then kind of react. And uh, I had no idea that this is the subject that would be at the forefront. But anyway, let's go a little bit into what I've been doing. So obviously we had the Halloween weekend. If you were celebrating or doing anything Halloweeny, I hope you had a good time. After putting that episode up, I was watching or re-watching The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. And yeah, so I, I'd been watching some of that. And um, Monday I went and met up with a lovely friend that I don't get to see nearly enough. And that was really nice. We had like a really nice deep conversation just talk about all kinds like stuff you wouldn't think your conversation would turn to but it did and it was good though I think it it was a lovely insight into who she is and she got an insight into how I am and who I am and even though we've known each other for almost 10 years uh we've not really hung out too much even though you think wait you've been friends for like 10 years and you're only just finding this stuff out it's because, like, normally we just meet up in some kind of social environment. It's not really the kind of place where you start going, hey, so tell me about your, your life and your past. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was really nice to get to talk to her. And it was really needed, I think. And then, yeah, Tuesday was Halloween and uh, they had, like, a Hocus Pocus movie night thing. And so we went to that and that was that was a nice change of pace. And, uh, yeah, the only other thing that's been going on in my actual life is uh, a lovely leak in my ceiling. They'd kind of been like a water stain for a while. And me being me, a procrastinator, I just kind of went, yeah, I'll deal with it when I have the money to, you know, get someone in to, I don't know, whatever they need to do. Didn't even think it may have been roof related, which is stupid because I'm on the top floor. Sunday was especially rainy here and it started to leak so yeah I've been dealing with that this week it's felt quite I don't know metaphorical or something one of the things that happened this weekend which you know unless you've been living under a rock or you just don't follow this kind of news you'll know that uh news that Matthew Perry from Friends passed away and I found this out on Saturday night quite late so I guess you could say early Sunday morning for anyone who really knows me will know that I'm a huge, huge Friends fan and I have been since I was about 14. I know all the lines. Me and my cousin, we've taken part in uh, quizzes. It's been like this constant relief from life. It's been there for me, you know, no pun intended, but it's been there for me at times when I was happy anyway or I was sad. I would just put it on and it would just, I'd binge watch before people said the word binge watch. You know, I had them recorded onto VHS from the TV and I would just rewatch them. No matter what I was doing, I'd be rewatching them. It became like the ultimate safe place, my happy place. Those characters were my friends. I didn't have six friends. 
at the time, I didn't really have TV like that. I know, like, for the slightly older generation, you know, my brother grew up with Cheers, and that was, like, the big show for him that ran for quite a long time as well. So that was his thing. It it just shaped me, and it's hard, it's weird to say, but I think it's become part of everyday life. Everyone uses friends' quotes. It's just part of pop culture now. Some people probably say it and don't even realise that's where it's from. I think back when it first started, Chandler was such a unique character because he was, you know, a little bit awkward and um, there were elements of, I guess, shyness in some ways, like him talking to the opposite sex and he'd be quite sarcastic. Like the fact that he would use humour in the way that he would to make himself feel less uncomfortable and also to maybe make the situation less uncomfortable was kind of new to me. I don't know whether that was a thing, <laughs> you know, but for me, that was that was new to see a character who was kind of like that. Someone who was quite self-deprecating, but like could just find the humor in everything. And it allowed me to think, oh my God, so if something embarrassing happens to me, that normally would make me really upset or I don't know, really uncomfortable or whatever, I could make a joke about it and I could laugh about it. If it wasn't for Chandler, I don't know whether I would start to have done that. I don't know whether that was necessarily like a great personality trait, him using humor as a defense mechanism. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. I definitely found myself like filling silences with a little joke, whether it made people laugh or not. I don't know. It made me laugh. Beyond that, the rest of the characters all kind of got in there and and I'm seriously like the love child of all six Friends characters. <laughs> you know, I've bonded with people over this and a lot of people love Friends. It gave me Friends. Friends, the show gave me Friends. <laughs> but basically the show has just meant so much to me. So the news of Matthew Perry passing away at 54, just out of nowhere. Oh my God, I, I just, it was like something had just taken a stab at my happy place. Oh, I immediately took to my Instagram posted because anyone that knows me knows how much that show means to me. I needed to process it somehow. Upon doing it though, I was very much aware of the fact that there are all these things happening in the world and I'm giving my time to this. I haven't been involving myself in other things, other huge things. I don't tend to use my social media that way. I don't tend to use my account to get political or anything really. Sometimes I might every now and then. I'm sure I have done. On this occasion, I I had chosen not to because it was just very overwhelming. The posts about it were so divisive. Instead of unity, where people could all just feel bad for innocent lives lost, people made it hateful, one-sided, whether it be one side or the other. It was, pick a side. People would just be horrible. Look, this is the last thing I'm going to say about it. You can have a side. How does that make you feel to not care about people dying on the other side? The people that are dying are not the people instigating the bad stuff. There are people being caught in the crossfire of the bad stuff. While you might go, I'm on the side of this. That shouldn't mean that then you can turn a blind eye to the murder or anything horrible that's happening on the other side because there are innocent people on all sides. It boggles my mind that people can just go, what about this? And not care about the other stuff. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't on social media. The amount of people who have tried to be looking at it from the perspective of the innocent 
and then being told by fans of theirs or whoever is commenting that they're not being good because they're not picking a side. They're on the side of the innocent people. They're not wishing murder on anybody. But that's apparently not good enough. Boggles my effing mind. This week's episode, I thought I would talk a bit about grief, sorrow, and it's not necessarily an introvert episode because I can't say that every introvert handles things like I do. Obviously, everyone will deal with grief and sorrow their own way. Everyone's been through their own stuff. No one can tell someone that what they're doing is necessarily right or wrong because while there might be a right way and a, or a healthier way, everyone's been dealt a different hand and some people choose to immerse themselves and feel everything and others choose to look away and push it to the side me personally I don't know I always thought that I did feel things because I'm quite an emotional person I'm the first person to cry if we're watching some sad film I cry quite easily at most things. However, just recently, I realized that I usually, if it's something personal to me, and obviously you can't help it, you'll obviously be sad. But generally, I do think I like to keep sorrow at arm's length. I do it, I think, to protect myself from feeling too much. Because in my opinion, I feel like I'm going to feel it to the point where I don't know how to unfeel it. I've always tried to find the joy in things. And in some ways, I think that's really great. And I think you've just got to find the right balance. But I do believe that from a very young age, I must have just decided that when things were getting me down, I'd just put on a film or I would, I don't know, listen to some music or read a book or daydream about different things. At a very early age, I learned to rely on my imagination and escapism. I can see little things that set it off, but I don't know if there was one big thing that set it off. But you know, starting school, I only started around age five. So I hadn't really been around other kids except, you know, family. I never had to make a friend before. And when I started school, I didn't really know how to make friends. I didn't really want to make friends. When you're on your own in primary school and you don't make friends, that leaves you vulnerable to bullies. And I did get bullied. I mean kids. And I definitely cried a lot. I made the wrong choices. I tried to be friends with the wrong people who didn't care. And they made me cry countless amounts of times. I would hate going to school. I never liked school. A lot of kids don't, but I really didn't like school. (laughs) I loved being home. I loved watching TV. I loved watching movies. It was my happy place. It was my go-to place when things were just not that great in real life. Where there'd be arguments at home. All kinds of stuff. The one place where I felt happy was if I just blocked it all out and watched a film or, you know, listened to some read-along books or what have you. I was very happy in my own head. I think that's where it all started. When my dad died when I was just before I turned nine. I don't know whether it would have been different if he had been, we'd been a bit closer. But I, I was sad. Of course I was sad. I remember knowing that it was, it was a sad time. But it felt a little bit, I don't know, I felt like I was more sad for other people. It felt like it wasn't happening to me. I feel like I didn't really quite understand what his death would mean for me. 
him passing didn't necessarily feel like it changed anything for me for a while. And it was only as I got older that I realised what I had lost and what I could have gained if my dad and I had had more time to get close. And now I can't watch anything with like a parent-child storyline without crying my eyes out. Like the littlest thing and I'll be gone. Finding Nemo, the ending scene, which I was not expecting, not to spoil it, but you know, they find Nemo. He, you know, he's about to go to school. His dad's finally happy to let him go away. And Nemo stops the, uh, let's call it the school bus, swims back to his dad just to hug him, how a fish could hug, and say, I love you, dad. And I remember just thinking, I was not expecting this and getting really choked up about it. I'm getting choked up about it now. It's little things like that. So I feel like the grieving process for my dad will just be there forever. I think even by that point when my dad had passed away, I'd already somehow found that I couldn't take in the sorrow that much. The idea of being overwhelmed by grief like that or sorrow, I find it really scary. I think as a child, whenever I did cry, whenever I allowed myself to just feel what I was feeling without any sort of holding back, because when you're a child, you just cry. Nothing would change. Nothing would be better. Nothing would be improved. Especially when if, if it was someone who hurt me, I've kind of allowed myself to stop freely feeling things in front of other people, maybe because I just thought it did, it accomplished nothing. I don't know. The reason why I bring up the whole Matthew Perry thing and why I posted about that and I couldn't post about the other thing is because, as I said, Friends was like one of my happy places. And as I said, I at a very early age relied a lot on daydreaming, television, movies to be the thing that kept me safe from any outside pain. So for Matthew Perry to have passed away, it felt like someone had stabbed my happy place and not even that was safe anymore and that sounds so ridiculous maybe to those who don't get it but it was like there was no escape try holding sorrow away try it try holding it at arm's length and then have the thing that you're protecting yourself with be damaged by sorrow it's happened a few times you know like you know uh robin williams taking his own life even music, music gets tainted. Chester Bennington, Linkin Park have very emotional songs. They can have heavy lyrics, but it's always been very therapeutic to sing. There's something very therapeutic about that kind of music. How do I ever listen to it again and not think about that? You know, those people, they're in our ears, they're in our homes. They're with us at all kinds of times. We might rely on them when we're sad they cheer us up but they're with us at all hours of the day we could watch them in the middle of the night when we're lonely they could be there for us so when they're gone it's almost like you actually lost someone even though you can I could put on friends and Chandler is still very much there but knowing that he's gone as everyone's been saying it's like we all lost an actual friend but that doesn't mean that I don't feel like I should be doing more for things that are much bigger than that. I've just never been able to feel like I could let that kind of thing in. Again, it may not be an introvert thing. There might be others out there that feel like that too, that would never class themselves as an introvert. You know, one of the reasons I, I bring it up is because I have a, a friend who's known me my entire life. 
lately she's been very passionate about what's been going on and that's great like if she feels that immersing herself in that grief and that sorrow and then turning it into something productive that's amazing and you know what if if it not only helps her feel better but is also actually doing anything to affect change then I'm never gonna say anything against that that's amazing everyone will handle this stuff however they feel they can the problem I have is that despite how long we've been friends I feel like she chooses to see the worst in me because I haven't been posting that's really hurt me that's hurt me more than everything else that's happened because I'm like you know me why are you choosing to see the worst in me why are you choosing to decide that you don't need to talk to me because I haven't fulfilled some criteria that you apparently had for how I should behave that's really upset me and I'm not someone who's a fan of conflict so I'm not gonna go into her and and argue with her and, and bring it up and demand to know anything or anything like that you know for the past few years there's been moments where she's given me the silent treatment for whatever reason and I'm not saying that I've always been on the innocent side of things but when you've known each other for so long there's so much more history between us than to allow something like this to stop like we would talk we'd send each other voice notes every day it was nice to have that because we don't live close enough that we see each other all the time so now I feel like I've lost even that I kind of refuse to reach out this time the other times I feel like I've really tried because I don't want to not be friends I don't want us to not be talking to each other but it gets to a point when you're like why is it that I'm constantly apparently failing her (laughs) as a friend I don't have this problem with anybody else it just made me really look inwards at myself which I do anyway I still don't think I'm in the wrong because how I choose to process things is just the way I process things it's nothing personal I'm not hurting anyone I don't know when the silent treatment became the answer to any problems anyway while looking inside at myself I also reached out to other INFPs and um, a lot of them a lot of the ones that responded they all kind of agreed with me for the most part they they said they they, they don't watch the news either because that's how they feel. It just causes them horrible anxiety to immerse themselves in that kind of negative information and the doom and gloom. A few people actually seemed to be people that had really worked on themselves to figure out how to handle all of this negativity, whether it be from grief or just sorrow in general, and how to channel that into something better. I had uh, one person who works in a dog rescue and she said she suffered from a depression and PTSD because of working there but amazing that she was able to channel that and still fight to do what she can. I had another person who said that they can feel everything or they can hold their emotions back if they choose and she said that she'd also been looking into the ancient Greek principles of stoicism. Another person recommended me a book called Standing at the Edge by Roshi Joan Halifax. Her book talks a lot about the healthy and unhealthy ways we deal with trauma. And another person recommended me another book called The Wild Edge of Sorrow by Francis Weller. He said that it helped him find words for what he was experiencing. So I looked into 
both of those authors actually I found that very interesting because I'd never heard of things like moral trauma and, and things like that I read an interview with Roshi Joan Halifax she goes into saying how we get subjected to these horrible images through our media and she actually says it's more like bombarded by all this so we enter I'm quoting her so we enter into what we would call a state of moral distress and futility and she says the moral distress is something where we see that something else needs to happen like you know people have to be protected we feel this profound moral conflict she calls it we can't do anything about it and we enter into a state either of moral outrage or we go into states of avoidance through addictive behaviors where we just don't want to deal with it or we just go into another state of withdrawal a kind of numbness or into a freeze i mean that is exactly I guess what's been happening with me. I go into a state of avoidance. She says that I think a lot of this world that is hooked up in the media right now is going numb. She thinks it's em what we're dealing with is empathic distress. There's a resonance, but we're not able to stabilize ourselves when we're exposed to this kind of suffering. When we're more stabilized, then we can face the world with more buoyancy. We have more resilience. What she recommends is finding stillness. For her, it's through a path of meditation. She says that I'm a very passionate person and I've learned to actually down-regulate and to become in a way more sensitive without being hyper-aroused, which would cause me to, to withdraw. And so working, for example, in my own experience with meditation, of training the mind so that I am sensitive to a place where I'm at my edge and I can actually withdraw, but not completely, in order to ground myself or I can work that edge skillfully. It's similar to what the other author kind of brings up in that grief sometimes needs a ritual, a place where you can come together and just allow yourselves to feel without any borders for a given amount of time and then be able to pull away from that moment. Just like how when you meditate, you'll go into that moment, you'll sink into that feeling and then you'll slowly come back out of it. It's that way. Obviously, this takes a lot of work. You can't just say you'll do this. They also both actually say this, but I'll go into Joan Halifax first, where she says that grief is profoundly humanizing and we need to create conditions where we are supported to grieve and where we're not told, why don't you just get over it? Or it's time. We in our lives experience one loss after another, and it can be a loss of a breast, loss of a loved one, a child going into adulthood, which is a way of loss for many parents, loss of identity, loss of capacity. And it's something that brings great depth and meaning into our lives and also helps us to articulate internally our priorities and what is really important for us. And similarly, Frances Weller, the book that was recommended to me, which was The Wild Edge of Sorrow, it's almost a course in how to allow yourself to grieve and feel sorrow in a healthy way and process it and in the first um, chapters he says that so many of us are depressed anxious and lonely we struggle with addictions we find ourselves moving at a breathless pace we're trying to keep up with the machinery of culture Entire industries have emerged to keep our senses dulled and distracted. Our need to be anaesthetized is rooted in our smoldering dissatisfaction with the meager existence we have been offered by the society, itself a profound source of grief. We suffer from what the poet William Blake called 
divine discontent. Our soul knows we are designed for a bigger, more sensuous and more imaginative life, but we can go for days, weeks, months, a lifetime with only marginal encounters with beauty and the wild, only rarely sharing an intimate moment with a friend. We collude in the numbing as well, slipping into the void through alcohol or drugs or shopping or television, work, anything to help us ward off the feelings of emptiness that come crashing at our door. And he says... We were not meant to live shallow lives, pocked by meaningless routines and the secondary satisfactions of happy hour. We are designed to encounter this life with amazement and wonder, not resignation and endurance. And he says, no wonder we seek distractions. Every sorrow we carry extends from the absence of what we require to stay engaged in this one wild and precious life. And every sorrow is made more difficult to metabolize by that absence. Honestly, as I read this, it was raining this morning. I couldn't sleep. The rain woke me up and you know, the roof has not been fixed yet. And it was leaking. It was drip, 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 dripping. And I was reading this and I was kind of crying a little bit because you don't think about how you've conditioned yourself to kind of numb yourself to things because you want to, you feel like, well, I'm talking about myself, but, and it looks like it's quite a common thing is you want to keep on living or that's how you feel. You're like, no, I need to continue living. I need to, life goes on. You know, there's this horrible stuff going on, but I've got to keep living. I can't be in a bed crying to myself all, all day. That's not productive. But it was like this, this book was saying, don't think that by you getting up, putting on the TV, going shopping, doing the little things in life is necessarily you living either because you've just dulled yourself to the things that are happening. Obviously, it's not saying, oh, go out there and just never do anything else for yourself ever again. And obviously, the book will go into more of how you can do it. But the whole point is, is that you have to give yourself a window into feeling it. It's not necessarily saying that you have to go out there and do stuff. You, you do what you feel you have to do. You have to, you do whatever that feeling makes you want to do, but don't tell yourself not to feel it. And the reason I bring up the the dripping is because the roof, the ceiling has had a water stain on it for a while. And only now has it started to drip. And it made me feel like it was like a metaphor. That stuff had been damaging for a while, but I'd been ignoring it. But now it's about to burst. And I don't know, the timing with... Matthew Perry's death and me crying and all of this other stuff. Honestly, you have no idea how much this other stuff was really, I don't know, I had like such a knot in my stomach. And then this stuff was just on top of that. It was all building up. Honestly, I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like I have to read this book. (laughs) If you have things like me where you you just you either feel too much and you can't find your way out or you just choose not to feel or you try your best not to feel definitely if it's interested you check it out as well yeah this year I had two of my dad's side of the family pass away within quick succession of each other I feel like my brain is still trying to process that and I did I you know I was sad and I did cry But I just feel like there's just been a lot. And I know everyone's dealing with their own thing. And it's always a lot. No, if if you're lucky enough not to be feeling any of this, then I'm very happy for you. And I hope that it always is a good life for you. But for the most part, let's face it, all of us are going to go through stuff like this in some form or another. 
It was just, I didn't think that this week would be a week of self-reflection, yet here we are. The whole point of this episode was, I felt like I just had so much to say. I've been thinking so much about how I've been feeling, trying to figure out if it was normal. And maybe it is normal, but maybe it's not good that it's normal, I don't know. Obviously, my friend's journey in life has been very different to mine. Everyone's found what works for them. I know what I have to work on. Honestly, this has been a bit of a downer episode and I apologise. Hopefully next week it will be a happier one. I don't know. I have no idea what's coming next week. <laughs> I have literally no idea. But um, just been a lot going on in the world and I'm just saying I'm not blind to it. And if you're still learning, don't feel bad. Anyway, I've said more than enough. I hope you all have a lovely weekend. Hope it's not raining too badly where you are. Join me next week. Um, keep an eye on my socials at also don't call me on Instagram, also don't call me .weebly.com on my website. And um, you can obviously direct message me. You can comment. You can you can contact me through the website. I've got a blog on there as well. Feel free to comment. Let me know how you're feeling. And also, that's a good way of keeping it in touch and seeing when my next episode will be as well. Take care, guys. Not home. Shh. I'm not here. No, no. Leave me alone. <laughs>